birth affects us all, right? I mean, we were born, obviously, and we all also either gave birth or know someone close to us who has. We also know plenty of women who will. So I'm just telling you now, as you listen to this episode about the benefits of natural birth, you're going to have several people come to mind. And when they do, please don't hesitate to share this episode with them. Because I wish I had someone that shared something like this with me in my first pregnancy. I'm interviewing Ayla Cuenca. She's a doula that has been a part of over 500 births and educated twice as many more. She empowers and educates women and families on everything from preconception to parenting. She offers doula services, doula training, birth classes, and more. Listen into our conversation and hear about the benefits of an unmedicated birth, why more women than ever are having emergency births, how to prepare well for a birth, how to choose a provider, and how to get the most out of the amazing transformational experience of childbirth. Quick reminder that we have a lot of resources for you on the website, dailywellnesscommunity.com, including lots of freebies, and one is called 30 Ways to Celebrate Without Junk Food. If you're a mom like me and you want to celebrate special moments but don't exactly want to get an ice cream or a slushie every time, I got you. You're going to want to save this list and you're going to have 30 ideas for your next celebration. The link is in the show notes. Welcome to the Daily Wellness Podcast, where you can learn about healthy living and be inspired to take the next step in your wellness journey. Hey everyone, I want to introduce you to an amazing person that I am just getting to know. So I'm excited to share this interview with you guys because I think we're all going to learn so much. Um, this is Ayla Cuenca, and I am just excited to get to know you more. Thank you for joining me. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me, spending time today. <laughs> yes. Um, so what really drew me to you, um, a friend kind of told me about you after, you know, after Jody's interview, she told me about you and um, I just thought this would be such a great topic to cover because there's a lot of women that listen to this podcast and what you are doing in the birthing space is something that we haven't talked a lot about in the podcast yet. So I'm excited. Can you just kind of tell us how you got into being a doula and working in the birthing space? Yeah, um, I actually spent some some time volunteering as a guardian at litem for the Miami-Dade County um, foster system. And I, it was really challenging work to do, to, to go into foster homes and spend time with children and write reports on what I perceived they were experiencing and, you know, what the family dynamics were like and making recommendations, you know, based on my perceptions and observations to the judges. And I would go home at night feeling really like discouraged, (laughs) like as a human being, I felt discouraged, like what are the, the, what's the solution here? Like, it's not pouring more money into the foster care system. It's not like, that's not the, the Band-Aid is not the solution, right? So like, how do we get to the core of this? And that's when I started really reflecting on, on like the origin, right? The inception point of, of how we arrive here and conception really was what came to me. And it, it happened at a time where I was experiencing something, you know, deeply personal in my life, like a loss in my life. And so it all was like kind of like this perfect catalyst for being shown that 
birth work, doula work, um, birth education, like those were all places where women could have the opportunity to do something differently, to make a different choice, to feel support, to have resources and networks. And so that's really where I made that shift. And that's kind of what propelled me <laughs> to come into this field. Yeah. So I know now that you do training and certifications and stuff like that. Um, so I, I but I would love to hear what that process looked like for you. Um, like what kind of, you know, training and all that kind of stuff did you have to go through? But before you do that, I just want to say I love so much that you were a guardian ed item because our family, um, we were foster parents for about seven years and um, have adopted one of our children through the foster care system. So that space is just really precious to us and the guardian ad litems that we did have when we did have them, because we didn't always have a guardian ad litem assigned to um, us. But when we did, it was just really a strong asset. So thank you for the work that you did there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What are what are the odds? Um, yeah, that's beautiful. Um, well, you know, I did a, a really... <laughs> kind of what I call like the cookie cutter doula training. You know, at the time I was personally like living on Medicaid and food stamps and I was really trying to find a way to, um, you know, change my career path. And I know I'd had a whole other lifetime before the Garden at Lightham work doing documentary photography and, you know, I was an anthropology major and, you know, after working commercial photography and like really leaving that behind um, for, for different reasons we don't have to get into here. I, you know, I was at a, at, at a turning point in my life. And so I was like, let me just find, you know, whatever is available to me in the space that I'm in. And I found this really generic doula training. Um, it's really widely known. A lot of people do it. And it was like three days of like, you know, lay, you just lay it on. And after the, the training ended, I was like, I don't know anything. Like, I didn't really like, what can you really learn about this in three days? Like, I barely got my toes wet and now I'm expected to go like support women in this space. So from that point, I started like a pre like an apprenticeship, I would say. I would shadow midwives. Um, you know, I wasn't working to, you know, I wasn't training to be a midwife, but I would shadow them. I started attending births. Um, I started leading support groups. I started finding my own ways, even though I had a certification, right? Like I had this title. I felt like not certified, you know, to do this. And so the way that I really created that for myself was by going out into the field and creating opportunities where I would just hold space for women, observe them, and allow them to teach me. And I did that for a long time before I finally felt confident enough to like develop my own business, you know, where I was offering a service and, you know, receiving compensation for it because I felt like, no, oh, this is this is something that historically women were learning in their lineage, right? This is something that like your grandmother would teach her daughter and then, you know, she would teach you as, you know, you know, your own mother. And so it was like passed down this wisdom. And so I felt like, okay, I'm just stepping in here and like I need to sit in the space receiving this knowledge before I really step into it. And so that's why the the doula training that I've created, which I now offer to women, it's a long, it's a lengthy container. It's six months. It's not a three-day uh, course where you get a piece of paper at the end. It's a six-month container where we really like go deeply into these practices and we do a lot of self-reflective work to make sure that we're in alignment and attuned um to this mission that we're we're embarking upon yeah Wait, quick clarification what's the difference between a midwife and a doula 
So a, a midwife is a medical professional who assists with the birth of the baby, right? So you work with a midwife throughout the pregnancy or blood work, uh, checking the growth of the baby, um, you know, all your prenatal visits. And then she's the medical attendant at your birth. And then she does the postpartum care, you know, through a medical capacity. And a doula is really a physical and emotional support person who is trained in birth, who understands birth. But the doula doesn't examine, doesn't diagnose, does not offer prenatal care, you know, would never do a vaginal exam, you know, things like that. So you really want both on your team because they offer two completely different things. Yeah. So other than the obviously one big hole in your training, I'm I'm guessing from the way you're telling the story is just the time factor. Like it wasn't enough time to learn, to observe, to experience, to gain all that insight and wisdom. So that was like one big gap. And it sounds like in the doula training that you are providing, like you've definitely addressed that. What were some other what are some other big like gaps that you felt were in your training that you've really tried to address in what you now offer? So something else that I've made it a huge point to offer in my training is the holistic perspective of birth. So we go deep into the history so that we understand where we've come from, right? And then also like that helps us understand where we're going and where we are presently. You know, a lot of people today believe that birthing in the hospital is the safest place to birth. And so we kind of like debunk that myth because we've really only been birthing in hospitals for the last, I don't know, 85 to 90 years. That's very true. <laughs> you know, and look how long we've been on this earth, right? So we really try to put things into perspective, not because we're creating a bias, but because we really want to understand how we've arrived at this like collective perception of birth and why so many women are having these high risk scenarios come up and why so many births turn into emergencies more so than ever before, right? Like <laughs> C-section rates are at an all time high, yet we are at the most quote trained. We have the, the best, you know, quote technology. <laughs> like we have all the best of the best and we're at, we're at an all time high with emergency births and C-section. So so really understanding how we've arrived there. So we look at the the political, we look through the political lens, we look through the cultural lens, we look through the clinical lens, through the legal lens, we look at the logical lens of where we are. It's like we really go through all of these perceptions. It's really like a college course, I would say, like specialized. Um, it's definitely not like a, a weekend warrior type of thing. And yeah. so I, that's what gives a lot of the duelists who've trained with me the edge that they have. And we also work on our own stuff. You know, like we all come from somewhere and we want to use those experiences to create a new gift and a new offering. It's not like, okay, I'm just training to be a dual and I'm leaving all that behind. It's like everything's coming with you. So how do we integrate it? How do we weave it in? And how do you become a more expanded, unique version of yourself? So I'd say that's the biggest difference. I felt like all the doulas left my training that I did 10 years ago, like saying the same thing, doing the same thing, and not really understanding like how as individuals we were offering anything special. Yeah. Yeah. The the doula that would come out of your training sounds exactly like someone that I would want with me. <laughs> Just someone with that perspective and understanding, you know, like how beneficial is that for a mom, you know, for this woman giving birth, like what a gift. As you are thinking about 
the lens of preparing the doula, like how does that compare and contrast with the role of like preparing a mother? Like what kind of similar? I'm guessing there are some similarities there, but like what would you really say a mother should do kind of to prepare for that birthing experience? Yeah. So I'll just I'll just clarify that a doula is not necessarily a birth educator. So, you know, if you work with a doula, she's not going to offer you a childbirth class. That's like a separate training, a separate certification, a separate separate knowledge that she's acquired over time. I just so happen to have um, a childbirth education background uh, through the Bradley method. And so then I eventually developed my own method of childbirth education. So I teach classes to couples and to women. And then I've also now created this container to train doulas. And so I would say as I've gone through both and as I'm in the space with these different groups of people, there are overlaps for sure, because there is that common work that we all have to do, which is like healing that, which is within us, right? Like there is so much like, okay, like how do I control my environment? Like how do I, you know, adjust things outside of me so that they're going a certain way so that I, you know, I'm eliminating fear and we often don't look within. And so in the doula training and in the childbirth education class, I'm asking everyone always to take inventory of, you know, their fears, uh, management of expectations. Like, you know, if you're resisting something, what's behind that resistance? You know, if you're controlling something, what's behind the control? Like, what's behind what's underneath everything that motivates us. And so that awareness is really helpful. It's really helpful when you're a parent, right? Like, I mean, we see how we fall into certain patterns and we're like, oh my gosh, like, let me look at what's behind that. Like, what if I just release and I try something else? What what kind of result will I get with my child? You know, so it, it prepares people not only as a doula, but also as a parent, you know, in the birth education aspect. And then I would say, it becomes different in a sense because one person is preparing for this, you know, rite of passage where, you know, I'm not preparing the doulas to go through this rite of passage. They're going through a different rite of passage of, of yeah, create expression. And, you know, and then the couples I'm working with are going through this kind of death of the death of the maiden, right? Where, you know, if it's her first birth, for example, it's the death of the maiden of a certain identity. And now she's stepping into her identity as a mother and as someone who's yeah, she's leaving someone behind to become someone else. And I don't think enough people pay attention to that. It's it's really profound. I think you're right. Yeah, that is really profound to be able to bring that kind of awareness to, you know, a, a birthing mom like of because I think we kind of do realize it on some levels, even subconsciously, like maybe even after the birth. But to have like that full awareness and be able to process that. It's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And I think, you know, what I've seen in postpartum depression, there's so many reasons postpartum depression happens. Um, one is traumatic birth experience. One is not addressing a lot of the stuff that you can address when you're pregnant or even preconception. So we kind of just keep it stuffed down and then it all starts to come out when you're raw and vulnerable in postpartum. So it's almost like a Mack truck that comes and hits you. It's like, where did all this come from? Well, it was always there. Mm. You just can't hold it in anymore. You don't have the energy and the wherewithal to keep your defenses up any longer. So now it's just all coming to the surface. Yeah, so true. That could be helpful in so many ways when you think about that. Yeah. yeah. So how many births do you think that you have assisted with or helped with or like had your hand in in some way at this point? 
Oh my goodness. I don't know. I was asked that recently and I was like, oh, like after the call, I'll like see if I can go through and <laughs> like calculate that. And I just never did. Uh, you know, like attending births, like four times. Well, 48. I don't know. Like maybe 500 attend in attendance. Yeah. Sounds kind of high, but um, and then in supporting, you know, indirectly through education, through prenatal counseling, through postpartum counseling, like over a thousand minimum, you know, I, I would say, I don't know, I'm just throwing numbers out. No. <laughs> but, uh. You know, and hopefully like whoever listens to the free education that I put out, like hopefully that impacted them on some level, you know, to even just make one different choice. That's really my hope, like, you know, but. Yeah, I really should. One day when nothing <laughs> going on, I am so curious to know that number myself. Yes. Well, I knew it was. I knew it would be a lot. I knew there was a lot of experience going on in here, and I'm just wondering. I guess this is a question more on the education side of what you do, but I know everybody's situation is going to be different, and not all births are the same. And but what would you? Are you kind of setting them up like this? would be the ideal way that you give birth. That's a really good question. You know, I. People always want to know, like, what's the best birth setup that's going to give me the best results, like emotionally and physically and for the baby and all that. So I used to be like, OK, I have the formula, you know, and I would say that loosely, like, yeah, it's a, it's a birth that does not involve any drugs, you know, like just to put it really simply, it's a birth that does not involve, you know, an induction with Pitocin or Cytotec. Uh, or Cervidil, it's not a drug that, it's not a birth that involves an epidural, you know, with fentanyl and lidocaine. Sure, like we know that those substances have resounding effects on both the mother and the baby. Um, but as I got deeper and deeper into this work, you know, apart from advocating for substance-free births, I really started to see that what I wanted women to have on the other side of this experience and working with me was a sense that they did not self-betray in any way. And that is like much deeper work because it comes to, you know, did I self-betray with my partner? Did I self-betray in doing newborn procedures I didn't really want to do, but I did them because they were looking at me like I was crazy if I didn't do them? You know, did I self-betray by choosing to birth here because my family was going to criticize me if I did it there? You know, like I want women to arrive at a place where all the decisions they made came from their own kind of like most authentic desire and knowing and intuition, um, you know, not from their fear and not from their pressure and their self-imposed pressure to people please. You know, so many of us want to maintain connection with the people that we love. And unfortunately, so many of us are in relationships that offer conditional love and support. And so we end up doing things that we don't really want to do because we don't want to lose connection with our husband, with our best friend, with our family, with our doctor, whatever. So I ultimately would say it's going to look different for every woman, but the goal is that she doesn't feel that she's self-betrayed on she, the other side of the birth. Good. That's so good. Oh, I love that, Ayla. I I wish you were in my life 16 years ago when I gave birth to my first child. <laughs> and you could have let it my little speech right there. <laughs> what a compliment. I would I love thank you for saying that. It's like the nicest thing. Yeah. 
So since we're kind of talking about natural birth, I mean, you men- mentioned like the abscess, absence of medicine, right, or drugs in the process. Like, what are some of the benefits of not having those things? Ooh, that's like my whole eight module course. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the benefits, right, like if we're talking about an epidural, which is one of the most common um, interventions, right, interventions are anything that you add to the birthing process or the pregnancy that is out of step with the natural unfolding. So anything like a, even listening to the baby's heart tones is considered an intervention because it's not something that the body would naturally do on its own. So involving technology, machinery, medicine, things like laws and drugs. Um, so an epidural is more on the extreme side when it comes to an intervention, right? It involves, you know, puncturing the dural space of the mother's spine um, it involves, you know, having a constant drip and, you know, an IV drip, um, a fentanyl and lidocaine, you know, so of course that goes into the cerebral spinal fluid of the mother. It's absorbed in the brain stem and it's redistributed into her bloodstream and it goes directly to the baby. And so what happens there is now the baby's actual nerves in the face, for example, are affected. So when the baby is born, they have a much more difficult time breastfeeding, right? They're not as, their reflexes are not the same as a baby who's not drugged. Um, So they get lower APGAR scores. Sometimes the breathing is depressed. So then they have to go to the NICU so that their breathing is monitored. So they're separated from the mother. Um, Because they have a poor suckling reflex, they have to be either syringe fed milk or fed sugar water or, you know, some other form of sustaining them until the baby is able to get back plane on the system can come back online. So just that in and of itself can cause a whole cascade of effects. And we know now as mammals, when the mother and the baby are separated right after the birth, even if for 30 minutes, that interferes with a really delicate um, hormonal kind of symphony that occurs between them. And yeah, of course, we have the, the brain power to override it and the determination to change the course of things despite you know the separation and we can we can kind of like try to jump back on the wagon but sometimes we don't and sometimes the woman can't breastfeed and then she feels shame and guilt and um you know a whole slew of things can happen can come from that resentment stress like whatever it is so i would say that that's just one aspect of how you know having an intervention like an epidural can impact the the mother's sense of self-worth the mother's relationship with the baby the baby's health the mother's health um and it goes on and on yeah so if a mom really all she knows is conventional medicine and kind of has a conventional practitioner what would you recommend to her if she does want to learn more about a more natural birth or non-medicated births or what would what would you recommend to her? Yeah, so I'd say, you know, if you look for side effects of epidural during birth, you're not going to find anything on Google. If you look for side effects of epidural during like a knee replacement, you'll find more information. <laughs> so you basically have to figure out how to do your research and you have to look at the effects of these drugs and these procedures outside of the conversation of birth if you're using like a, a search engine, for example, because you have to remember that first and foremost, as a pregnant woman in the West, pretty much anywhere now that has hospitals, you are a cash cow. <laughs> so you 
the way that you birth raises or lowers numbers as far as profit goes for these for these institutions like there are women birthing every hour every day all over the world and the more that you add to that that check you know on the tab i should call it um the better of a customer you are and so there is not going to be information readily available to you on the first 10 pages of google you know to avoid certain drugs and interventions during your process so i would say taking a childbirth education class is kind of the better way to go uh, you know, you can do like an uncovering birth class, which is what I offer. You can do the Bradley method. Like these are really the two methods that talk the most about how to avoid interventions, how to make different choices. Um, you know, a lot of women say, I could never do this without an epidural. Like that's crazy. Why would I suffer? Why would I put myself through that? Or they say, well, my doctor said if everything is going well, then I don't have to do the epidural. As if the epidural is some sort of like life-saving intervention. Like like if like someone has a high blood pressure and they take blood pressure medication. That's not the case with an epidural. An epidural is like a recreational drug procedure that does not make birth safer at all. So it's not like, oh, if it goes well, then we can avoid the epidural. No, there's no... <laughs> so it's about the comfort level of the mother, yeah. It's about her own... Uh, it's a, her own desire to dismantle her own fears. Like at the end of the day, there are millions upon millions of women who birthed without fentanyl and they were just fine. So you can do it. It's a matter of wanting to and it's a matter of believing in yourself and it's a matter of understanding how pain in the body works. An injury versus a natural function of the body. You're not breaking an arm. Your body is creating contractions to expulse your baby out of your body. It's two totally different things. So we have to dismantle the Hollywood brainwashing that we've gotten since childhood. We have to dismantle all the stories we've heard from friends and family about how terrible it feels. We have to do a lot of work to unlearn so that we can relearn. So I'd say if you know, you're know you more conventionally minded and you want to explore different options, a childbirth education course, even before you become pregnant, would be really helpful. And then also addressing your own fears and and issues around control. You know, a lot of us have control issues and that's really what the epidural gives you. It gives you a sense of being back in control. Mm -hmm. I'm sensing a theme here. You're really addressing like the whole psychological aspect of this birthing space, which I, I'm loving this. I'm like, this is so good. Like, <laughs> Usually just to get the like the how to's, you know, the you know, step-by-step -step checklist or whatever. This is how it goes. And this is what you need to decide or whatever, you know, you know what I mean? Like totally. the things that you're, you keep bringing up are really good, <laughs> really good insight. Um, so what kind of questions should um, an expectant mom ask her provider if she's, you know, trying to choose a doula or a midwife or a, uh, another practitioner? What kinds of things should she be looking for? So there's a lot of women who say like, well, I want to do it at home, but I want to be safe or maybe I'll just do my first one at the hospital. And if I have another baby, I'll do the second one at home because what if something happens? So I would encourage women to make a, their list of all the what if something happens items. Yeah. Women don't even know how to make that list because they don't even actually know what could happen they just have like an as existential general fear of something bad yeah <laughs> well i would really encourage you to get to that list and then talk to your provider about that 
one example could be like shoulder dystocia, which is when the baby's shoulder gets hooked on the mother's pubic bone. You'd ask your provider, what would you do in the case of shoulder dystocia? Like, how would you resolve that? You know, and you're going to get really different answers if you talk to a midwife or if you talk to a doctor, an OB. An OB typically would say, well, we would want to most likely do a C-section. We'd figure out a way or we would break the baby's collarbone to get it through uh, and do an episiotomy where we, you know, we would just cut the perineum, make more space, probably use forceps. There's different, you know, and a midwife is most likely going to say, oh, I'm going to use a maneuver technique called the Gaskin maneuver where I'm going to put the mother on all fours. I'm going to put my hand all the way inside. I'm going to locate the baby's shoulder. I'm going to unhook the baby's shoulder and I'm going to corkscrew the baby out this way while the mother turns that way, you know? And you're like, okay, that sounds better to me (laughs) than working a practitioner who's going to break my baby's collarbone and cut my perineum open. So you have to like learn what happens at birth first. Then you have to address what your fears are, what could happen, and then ask for the answers. How would this practitioner resolve this were it to occur? And then you'll see where you feel the most comfortable, right? And you also want to say, look, I, I'm someone who like doesn't want to be on an IV. Like IVs are pe- for people who are dehydrated and who are going under general anesthesia who can't eat. I'm laboring. I'm not sick. I'm not going to do a surgery. Why do I have to fast during a marathon? I want to eat. I don't want an IV, right? And so what practitioner is going to support me in that? You'll get a pretty clear answer. You know, typically OBs, they don't allow that. They want you to be on an IV. And a midwife's going to say, you're an adult with free will and eat whatever you want, drink whatever you want. And if we see that you're dehydrated, we will offer you an IV in your home. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sounds a lot nicer to me. That sounds like a lot more cooperative and collaborative. So I'm going to go with that option. So I would say you, there isn't like a set list of questions that I'd say, generally speaking, apply to all women. I would say you have to first go within and, and learn and then, and then ask both practitioners. And if you're working with OBs, just for fun, make an appointment with a midwife and just see how it feels to be speaking to a medical provider who offers a different type of care. And if you're working with midwives, like see how it feels to speak with an OB. And I like people to get really clear on where their resonance is with a certain type of practitioner. That gives you information too. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. What is something that you wish every mother knew about birth? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Uh, I've never actually been asked that question believe it or not it's like but um i would w- i wish for every mother to know that this experience is like a hall of mirrors so it's like whatever you think you've resolved in your own life like whatever hopes and dreams you have like everything that is in your unconscious like really does come up in this process and that's what can feel the most scary about it. And if it doesn't really come up in this process, it's going to come up in your postpartum experience. And so I really wish every woman would take this opportunity to like dance with that, to really like get intimate with that and to become more intimate with herself so that when these things come up later, it's almost like, oh, hi, there you are. It's not like, oh my God, this is like jarring and shocking and scary. Um, And so I would say like birth is really this 
portal opportunity to develop more intimacy with yourself. Mm, yes, I agree. And I think that kind of goes back to what you were saying with self-betrayal, really. I think that kind of ties back in. I, in my story, I've had three births and then plus our adoption. So we have four kiddos. And um, in the I don't know, for our first birth 16 years ago, I would say we really didn't start kind of on our family's health journey until about 10 years ago. So at the, that time, I knew nothing other than Western medicine, conventional OB care, and all those things. Um, but at the same time, I did have a desire even then uh, to have a natural birth or to, you know, not have drugs during my labor and delivery. And, you know, I does it, I, ha- I wanted a different approach, really. Um, but I, I honestly got talked out of it and I did self-betray my, you know, I did betray myself in some ways because I I let people make me feel silly for wanting something different or um, wanting to go a non-traditional route. And um, I just want to encourage women who are listening, if it's, if you're approaching or you think you might, you know, have another birth experience in the future, that even if your first one wasn't as you really wanted it to go, even if you did experience some self-betrayal, that that could change for you. Always. Like having one traumatic birth experience or an experience that left you feeling like you'd want it to be different is a really wonderful opportunity to alchemize what I've heard and set a completely new path for yourself. You know, your following birth could be really redemptive in that sense. Yeah, I would say that was true for me when I you know, after my first birth, I was like, I left that knowing is like, I could have done it. Like, I know I could have done it. Like, you know, like I, I just knew that I had this like intuitive sense of like, I should have done what I wanted because I know I could have done it, you know? And so, yeah, I just, anybody listening, if, if you didn't have the best experience, if you didn't follow your own intuition, if you feel like you left there wishing you had done things differently, then, you know, pursue that with your next one and like, listen to that lesson that you're learning. Yeah, I do a lot of um, birth trauma processing sessions with women one-on-one, and it's typically that's typically the motivation is wanting to figure out how to alchemize that first experience so that the next one can be like the birth of their dreams or, you know, or closer to it. Um, and so, yeah, seek out someone who can support you in that, that alchemy, that alchemical process. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing all of these tips. Um, wow, I I love it. And I I always have three questions that I ask everyone at the end of every interview. And so the first one is just what um, what resources would you recommend? So I always say like what healthy living resources would you recommend? So it could be anything really, but if you would share about your resources as well, that would be great. Yeah, you know, actually, I you know I grew up in a household where I. Thankfully, you know, I had a a mother who's a naturopath and my stepfather is an oriental medicine doctor. So I always would see just like a diverse, you know, array of of resources and information. And I was always like digging deeper and deeper, but it was kind of like not my own journey. You know, it's kind of like you have to be this way. We have to do things this way in this household. And and when I stepped out after college, I lived a stint of like very unhealthy like an unhealthy way of being for a while because I was like, you know, rebelling maybe. Right. And do your own thing. (laughs) 
And then I went and lived on a farm in Italy where I learned how to make cheese and I was um, slaughtering lamb and sheep and you know, producing different meat products. And that was where I really started to see the the relationship between animals and humans and like like developing a deep sense of gratitude for my food and for resources. And so I would say what's really changed my health, like up-leveled my health in a huge way is not so much like, where is the source of the best stuff? It's more, that's important, sure, but it's more like, how do I connect more deeply into where my nourishment is coming from? And like, do I take this for granted? And like, just really that examination, I think, is what changes the way someone treats their own body. When you start having reverence and respect for that, which is nourishing you, you start then having more reverence and respect for yourself. So I'd say like that is the relationship I would work on when it comes to like health, you know, and tapping into, you know, a more thriving type of lifestyle. Um, and then, of course, I always look as an anthropology major, I'm always looking back at the way that people th did things, right? Like, how are they doing things and how are they using the resources around them to support themselves, right? It was not a diverse lifestyle. It wasn't like, oh, I have an avocado every day, 365, right? Or I And I can eat cherries and raspberries and apples. Like, So I really say, like, just look to traditions of how people did things, you know, where there was no disease, you know? look at the way that they live their life, you know, and also like look at the the emotional and psychological terrain that you're living in day to day. So you can eat all the right stuff. You can do all the right stuff. You can create the most perfect environment with like no EMFs and like low VOC and like all the stuff. But if your internal psycho-emotional terrain is toxic, it's um, conflicted, it's not in authenticity it's out of integrity incoherent like you will be sick no matter what you're doing um so i'd say those are like the three main things that i like to reflect on and and have been my guiding light yeah and i say you bring that into your work now because it, it's really a holistic approach and what are your resources so if people wanted to learn specifically about natural birth or becoming a doula and things like that yeah, my website has so much information on it, alacuenca.com, and then uncoveringbirth.com is where like we have a course on creating safety in your body so that you can be in any situation, no matter what, and remain grounded and safe and resourced, right? We have that type of offering. We have offerings for men who want to be in the birth space and support their families. We have the doula training so you can become a professional in the birth world. We have this like little uh, red pill breastfeeding course on like really understanding breastfeeding from a different perspective. You know, um, it's, a, it's the non-feminist approach to breastfeeding. Uh, so yeah, we have a lot of different offerings. And then I'm on Instagram, even though I'm pretty heavily shadow banned for whatever reason. Uh, but <laughs> I am on there and I'm always connecting and available. And so I love to hear from people. So please, you know, connect one-on-one. -on -one take a course. I have so many free audio, like so much free audio and resources on the website, alopanko.com as well. So. Okay, great. I'm going to put all of that in the show notes. So everyone can e easily access that. And then the second question is, what is your favorite healthy snack? Oh my God, my favorite healthy snack. <laughs> I don't know if this is like healthy or not, but <laughs> so I really, right now I've been 
into this thing where I get those really thin rice cakes and I put like a ton of raw butter mm. and then I put pickly, which is a Haitian fermented spicy vegetable mix, like super spicy, like cabbage and onion and chili. They have like the um, the scotch bonnet peppers. Whoa. <laughs> You're the first one who's ever mentioned this in the healthy snack section. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like what I think is healthy is like, like in my, my diet basically consists of like beef, lamb. Fruit. Oh, I mean, the raw butter and the fermented veggies, I would say definitely you're yeah, in the healthy category really like grains or, or starches or anything like that but it's like i just do meat fruit and like a lot of butter and fermented things that's like and coffee it's like my diet so um but yeah and i and yeah i could go on but that's like the snack i'm into right now but again i don't know if it's healthy i eat a lot of dark chocolate too yes oh i'm on i'm with you on the dark chocolate that's my that's my go-to yes <laughs> And then last question is, who would you love to see as a guest on the Daily Wellness Podcast? You know, I'm actually going to nominate my really good friend and brother from another mother. His name is Bam, Bam Lionheart. And he showed me a lot about primal movement and got my body moving in a different way. So I I would, yeah, I'd love to for him to share his perspective on why we have so many chronic physical conditions that limit us in life yes okay well i'm just gonna try to not be bitter that you weren't in my life 16 years ago and just be grateful that all of the all of the people listening now get to benefit from wisdom from people like you and i just thank you thank you seriously for the work that you are doing for the lives that you're impacting um i love talking to people like you because i just admire you so much Thank you so much for having me. I loved spending this time with you. Thanks for listening to today's episode on the Daily Wellness Podcast. We hope that you found it helpful for your own wellness journey. And if so, we'd love for you to leave a review. Then come back and listen for review shout outs on upcoming episodes. For more information, check out the show notes and connect with us on our website, dailywellnesscommunity.com. Thank you.